Hi, friends. Welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. We are, as you know, the garage band of Come Follow Me podcasts. It's true. Let's talk about some poetry. Let's jump into the book of Psalms. Now, I got to be real with you. The book of Psalms has never really been my jam. Uh, Heck, poetry has never really been my jam. I mean, I tried to use it to woo women, but when that didn't work, I just went back to using my stunning good looks and charming personality. So I'm telling you, I'm not drawing from a deep well on this one. Not that the well's ever that deep uh, at all, but anyways, as we start, let's look at what the book of Psalms is and how it is structured And then I have some suggestions for you on how you can approach it. So the book of Psalms is a book of poems, many of which were sung, which I guess makes it a book of hymns too. Now, this book is compiled as the Jews are experiencing the Babylonian exile. And this is where people um, are feeling like, hey, we had something sacred and we lost it. We botched it. We lost everything. It's kind of like they they don't know how good things are until they're gone. They miss their homes, but they miss the temple the most. The temple was this place where they could go and experience God. You could walk into this place that was beautifully crafted, right? Um, And hear hymns sung about God and smell incense that was like a prayer floating up to heaven and witness priests reenacting your salvation, And know that this is God's mercy seat, his throne. From this location is where he he shows that he really is in charge of this earth. He rules the world and he's going to make everything okay. It's such a hopeful place. But now for them, in Babylon, all of that is gone. So the book of Psalms is written to be, in a way, a virtual temple, a, a literary temple, if you will. If you can't be in God's house in real life, maybe language can transport you back into his presence. So this book is designed to use language to transport you back into the temple so that you can hear the story of God's kingdom being sung back to you so you can feel that God is still with you. Additionally, you might want to think of the book of Psalms as an instruction manual, but with only one topic, prayer. In it, the exiles which includes them in Babylon, uh, the Babylonian exile, and me and you have, who have been exiled from God's presence, we, we are taught how to pray and communicate with God, how to come back to Him even though we've been exiled, even though we have chosen exile in some, some cases here. Now, let's talk about how the book of Psalms is structured. The entire book is written poetically, and basically the entire book is written in what are called couplets. So knowing that the entire book is written in couplets, couplets, I am begging you, do not read this book in the King James Version. I love the language there, but it is not split up into poetic form. Find a different version, like try out the NIV or something like that, where it splits it out into poetic form. Just having it split into that structure is going to make it so much easier for you to understand what's going on. Now, poetic couplets work like this. They are a set of two short lines that work together to explore a concept. The first line of a couplet will make a basic statement. Then the second line of the couplet will develop that idea in some way. 
The, the second line will, will develop the idea sometimes by completing the thought. Sometimes it will deepen the idea using other words or images. And sometimes it will help you understand the idea by actually contrasting the point with another counterpoint. This is a very repetitive and slow way to read, but it's done this way on purpose. It is purposefully trying to get you to slow down and experience not only the intended idea, but also the intended emotions associated with this idea. It's meant for you to go slow, so it's written in a way that will force you to do that. Now, I got to tell you, if you understand this one concept, couplets, it will make reading Psalms so much easier. So first, just look for the claim made in the first statement in the first line. Then look how that claim is developed in the second line. That's it. Additionally, even though it may not, it may just look kind of like a hodgepodge thrown together book of poetry, there is an organizational structure going on in this book. First, Psalms 1 and 2 form kind of an introduction to this entire book. In these two psalms, the authors introduce the two main themes you're meant to be looking for throughout this book. The first theme is the value of scripture, or as they call it, the law. You see this in Psalm number one. Number one, verse one. Blessed is the man that delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth meditate day and night. Second, they introduce the theme that there is hope that even though they are in exile, one day the true king will come and make all the screwed up parts of this earth right again. That he'll help us. And we see this in Psalm 2 verse 6. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. So as you study the book of Psalms, look for those two main themes. The value of scripture and instruction from God and the hope that the Messiah will come to rule the world and help us all out. Following this introduction, the book of Psalms is broken up into to what are called books. There are five main books within the book of Psalms. Kind of like when you read Lord of the Rings, there's like multiple books within the one book, big book. Anyways, um, Come Follow Me doesn't follow the breaks of these books. So just be aware that there are different books and the stories and authors change as you switch from book to book. Just be aware of that. Here's kind of an overview of how they go. Book one of Psalms covers Psalms 3 to 41, and it focuses more or less on the law. Book two covers Psalms 42 through 72, and it examines more clearly the idea of a future king coming and ruling uh, the earth from his restored temple. Both these books are set along the backdrop of King David, and you can hear hints if you understand the history of his complicated family. And he is also the author of most of these Psalms here. Now, Come Follow Me does not have you read all the Psalms. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a good thing. I've read them all, and they are not all equally valuable. So your time is going to be better spent choosing a couple, focusing on them, and really taking it slow, understanding and feeling. Now, book three covers Psalms 73 to 89. And, and these sections compare the downfall of David's kingdom and the resultant exile that they are feeling right now 
Um, with they compare that downfall and exile with the hope that one day there will be a messianic kingdom of safety and joy. So it's a lot of contrast between the, the darkness and the light there. So you can better appreciate the light. Book four includes Psalms 90 to 106. And then book uh, five takes Psalms 107 to 145. Uh, both these sections are decidedly more positive than the third section. They're, they're full of praising God and hope for the future coming of the Messiah, the true king to rule the whole earth. After those five books, there comes a conclusion. The conclusion covers Psalms 146 to 150. And in these sections, there are five different conclusions that mirror the five books. And each of these conclusions end with a command for us to praise God for his goodness. Now, one more thought before we jump in and actually read a psalm. These psalms are songs more than they are stories. And songs are meant to give you a feeling. So go slow and experience the imagery. Immerse yourself in the vibe that this psalm is trying to give you. And use that vibe, that sentiment, that emotion as an invitation to connect with God and to resonate with him. So with all of that being said, let's jump in and know that I'm going to take my own advice here. We're not going to try and cover all the Psalms listed for this week. Instead, I'm just going to read two and see if we can feel what it is saying. Sound good? You ready? All right. So since it's a book of songs, we might as well start with a song. You ready for my my sweet, dulcet voice here? Here we go. Sweet Caroline. Now, notice, uncontrollably for you, the next line just pops into your head. Tell me it didn't. Bomb, bomb, bomb. You just can't help it. It just happens. And believe it or not, Jesus pulls this trick when he's on the cross when he in anguish implores, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You thought this was just a gasp of painful abandonment, which it is, but it's so much more than that. See, Jesus is a Jew, a good Jew. And for the last 600 years, Jews have been singing Psalms in their synagogues. And when he drops the line, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The, the people hearing this line can't help but remember what comes next. Like sweet Caroline, bomb, bomb, bomb. Like they, they, they cannot help but sing the next line. So pop quiz, which Psalm lyric is he quoting? And it's okay. You're not Jewish. You don't know probably. If you do, gold star. Make your, make your loved ones give you a hug because you're amazing. Anyways, here's the answer to the pop quiz. He is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, line 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, when he drops that line, he's basically sharing the whole psalm. It is a beautiful form of compact, powerful teaching. It is some of the most powerful, compact teaching I've ever seen. Now, remember the context of his quote. He just spent the night in indescribable agony, suffering the sins, pains, and sicknesses of all of us. 
Then his friend betrays him and his other amigos scatter. His most loyal follower denies even knowing him. He is beaten, mocked, and scourged, all while fasting and having lost drastic amounts of blood. And now he hangs from the cross, a torture so exquisite that they invented a new word, excruciating or out of the cross, ex, out, and crux, the cross, to describe this, this exceptional form of torture and pain. So you're, you're not just dealing with, I don't know, a cut when you are on the cross or split skin. The executioners are careful to find the nerve bundle in your, your hands and pop that spike straight through the nerves, causing your muscles to cramp and ultimately your diaphragm and chest to seize up and you can't breathe unless you stand on the nail in your foot, relieve the pressure and gasp for air. And it is in the space of one of those drowning gasps that Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's the the intro line. And then the couplets begin. He says, why are you so far from saving me? Now everybody knows this is what... uh, he, he is saying, just in this soul line, he's saying this whole poem, right? Let's see if you can feel what he is feeling in this moment and understand the depths of his atonement a little bit more. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and they were saved. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads, saying he trusts the Lord, they say. Let him, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Now that line right there, man, the, the prophecy here is deep. Matthew 27, people walking around shaking their heads, saying he trusted the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. Matthew 27, 39. And they that passed by Jesus reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocked him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Interesting, right? You see it coming true. Back to Psalm 22, verse nine. Um, this conversation with God still, right? You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. 
from birth, I was cast on you. Think about this, the trust that Jesus learned from the very beginning, Joseph having these dreams and getting up in the middle of the night and escaping to Egypt, um, leaving the, this danger, right? A cast on God from the, the womb, right? Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. And there is no one to help me. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouth wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Oh, what a, what a beautiful statement. Sit in that for a minute. I'm poured out like water. He has given everything for us. It's all gone. And all my bones are out of joint. This is quite a literal statement for Jesus as he hangs on the cross. His elbows and his shoulders have, have, have literally been stretched and displaced out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. That let this cup pass from me, right? Is there any other way? My heart is melted. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And you lay me in the dust of death. Oh, now I told you I'm not great at poetry, but tell me those lines aren't powerful. What a, what a clear description of what he's experiencing in this moment. He has been fasting since the Passover meal. He has lost a great deal of blood in the Garden of Eden and being scourged and crucified. He is severely dehydrated. So when he says, my mouth is dried up like a pot shard. A pot shard is a, a broken piece of pottery like what you would find in an archaeological dig site. It's the ultimate in dry. The pottery has not only been fired so that all the moisture is sucked out, but it's also been left out for years in the hot sun so there is no water left. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me down in the dust of death. Did I think this makes Jesus' statement in John 19, 28 so much more vivid when he just says, I thirst. The psalm goes on in verse 16, dogs surround me. Now this is a, a colloquial term for foreigners, meaning the Romans who carry out this crucifixion. And it goes on, a pack of villains encircle me, referring to the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin that have moved this death forward. They pierce my hands and my feet. Oh, come on. The prophecy hundreds of years before, this is exquisite. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. It happens, right? John 19. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also took his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. And who shall it be? 
right? Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in this great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. This is an echo of Hannah's promise of the coming of the true king here. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, he has done it. John 19.30, then Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He has done it. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Jesus is coming. Dang, that's so good. Go read it. Go slow. Feel what Jesus is saying right there. Get a glimpse into what the atonement is like. Get a glimpse of what he is offering us. Let's do one more psalm. Maybe one of the most quoted psalms of all time. And I got to tell you, for good reason. It's that good. It is amazing. It is exquisite. It is fantastic. And it is the very next psalm, Psalm 23. I'm just going to read it. Like, feel what the authors are trying to get you to understand about the nature of God and how he interacts with us here on earth. Like, it is so good. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, mm, mm, mm. I'm not even going to comment. It's that good. Now it's your turn. Get in there in the Psalms. 
jump in, go slow, and open your heart to what God has to say, who he is, how to commune more fully with you, how, with him, how to, how to feel what he's feeling. And, and remember those themes, right? Jesus is coming and the scriptures can help you be ready for him. That's what they're trying to get you to understand. It's good stuff, man. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.